I'm Jen Taylor Skinner, and this is The Electorette. On this episode, Women on Porn. Isn't that nice? When you think about women and pornography, more than likely you think of women in pornography as the objects of porn, starring in porn. Or perhaps, given the current political events, you think of Stormy Daniels. But rarely do people think of women as consumers of porn. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Primarily because our culture pushes women's sexual desires to the sidelines. And that's what today's guest is here to talk about. Fiona Vera Gray led a study called Women on Porn. And it was the largest ever study solely focused on the range of women's experiences and views on porn in the UK. She gathered the views of 2,000 women, and she also conducted 100 in-depth interviews about women's relationship to mainstream online pornography. And what she uncovered was really fascinating. So here is Fiona Vera Gray describing why she decided to conduct this study. Um, so it's a project that's looking at um, women's experiences of mainstream online pornography. So why it came up was um, I was looking into, I can't remember why actually, I was, I was looking into just, you know, the idea of kind of sexual agency, again freedom, because I'm quite interested in women's freedom and thinking about sexual freedom and agency and pornography is both an enabler and a disabler of that for women, you know, both blocking and, and maybe offering some possibilities, you know, and so I started to look into some research because I thought, you know, there's clearly going to be some research on this and there's nothing. And I was so surprised that the, there's just been uh, hardly any, there's been more in the last couple of years. It's starting to come out, but I was, I was looking at this in, um, I think, 2015, 2014, 2015, but there just was, there was very, very little um, talking to women about their experiences with and relationships to mainstream online porn so where it had been done it would focus on women using feminist pornography or things like erotica um, or written you know books and things like that but you know women talking about their experiences of using Pornhub for example was only ever found Pornhub releases statistics and so you could use their statistics but I don't really trust companies and statistics and on things it's done for different reasons but yeah so it so it was still this idea that women don't access um, this kind of material. And and also the research that has been done around women and consumption and pornography completely excludes the the women that don't access pornography, that don't look at pornography, that have a relationship of refusal to it. And what I wanted to do was to look at those two things together, basically, and not just those two things, to look across the breadth of women's relationships. So women who use it um, frequently, women who have used it a couple of times, women who have used it with a partner, women who don't use it, but their partner uses it and they have an experience of that. Women, younger women talking about, you know, sexual encounters with men who use a lot of pornography. So I wanted to just be able to understand a little bit more about what actually is women's relationships to mainstream online porn. What do they think? How does it make them feel? And to kind of think about how we can start to reorient some of the theory around pornography to come from women's actual accounts rather than just from the heads of academics. 
You know, what's, what was really interesting, this is more of an observation than a question, but when I was thinking about this this conversation yesterday, I was thinking about the tenor of the conversation, what questions I would ask. I don't know, I had this kind of internal giddiness, kind of a silliness around it. And I thought, you know, where is that coming from, right? Our culture treats women's sexuality, especially their interest in porn or, you know, those romantic novels as kind of a, a joke, right? Kind of a, yeah. a punchline. And I thought, well, but for men, it's, it's quite a serious yeah. affair, right? Yeah, absolutely. And there's no space. So this is the biggest thing that I've found so far is that there is no space for women to talk about this stuff. And so because I really similar again to the sexual harassment stuff, there is there are links between the two. It sounds like I've gone off completely separately, but there's totally links. And, and one of them absolutely is, again, that um, there's no space for women to talk about how this feels unless what they're saying is either I really love it or I really hate it. That's the only space that's available. So women who use porn, who find it really fulfilling, um, who love it, who might be have performed in it or GP directors, you know, absolutely there is a space for women to say, yeah, I use porn and I love it. It's great. And then on the other hand, there's absolutely a space for women to say, I, I do not use pornography. I find it all violent. It makes me feel ill. I don't use it at all. But what there's not, and what I've found is that for the majority of women, they sit in that middle bit, um, is for women, that are space for women to say, you know, I use it sometimes and I feel pretty shitty about it sometimes. And uh, I've come across things that have made me feel complicit in gender inequality and sexism. And I've come across things that have made me feel really bad. And sometimes I'm worried about the women, but I do actually still use it, you know, and I negotiate my use around these things and there's been no space for women to say that because like with the sexual harassment stuff women are blamed or judged and there's so much judgment around women's sexuality anyway that there's been a huge silence um, around this issue and I don't think that that served women very well because it's meant that we've had to kind of I guess hide part of our experience to either fit into those box of it's great I love it or I never use it, I, I hate it, which isn't to say that there's not women who occupy those spaces, but I just don't think that the majority of women sit so securely in one box or the other. You'd worked in a rape crisis center. How did that work lead you to this project? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, I guess that's that's kind of how I got there, really, to be honest, which sounds odd, but it's not. Um, so what I used to do was... Uh, I did some frontline support work and that kind of thing, but also I really focused on doing prevention. So we did workshops in schools with kids and workshops on workplaces and training to professionals, all of those kind of things. But it was mainly the kids side of things um, that we were going in and talking about sexual consent. And this was, you know, a good few years ago. And so it was before maybe it's as popular as it is now and we were testing out different things and seeing what we were getting right and what we weren't getting right and I just started over time to think you know we're focusing a lot on consent for example was a big thing you know focusing on enthusiastic consent and the idea that you don't want not a no you want like an enthusiastic yes and then when I started thinking about that I was thinking you know is this really is this really how sex happens like as an adult really is it is it that someone kind of right. art like poses the question and the other person says yes or no? I mean, it's not, it's not. And I think that kids can see, kids can see that, you know, kids that particularly teenagers, they're really good at seeing when adults are trying to tell them something that isn't necessarily true. I think they can kind of see through it. And I didn't want the message that we were giving, which was a really important message around the importance of making sure that your partner is, is into what's happening. I didn't want that to be lost because the, the idea of consent 
actually doesn't entirely fit with how sexual interaction happens. And so I started to think about that and how when we talk about consent, a lot of the time we actually, even as feminists, we're, we're still positioning women as being the gatekeepers of sex. You know, it's it's very rare when we're talking about consent, even if we don't gender it, we're not often talking about the fact that it's women initiating sexual activity. You know, we're not really talking to boys about how do you say enthusiastically yes or how do you say no. You know, we're talking to girls because it's it's taken as a default that what's happening in a heterosexual interaction is that men are men and boys are asking and women and girls are either agreeing or refusing. And even that, you know, if the best that we can hope for is that a woman or a girl agrees to sex, I mean, that's pretty disappointing. That's not my aim for like a happy kind of pleasurable sexual life for people that there's just a bunch of people agreeing. Um, so <laughs> I think then I, that's when I started thinking like, I, I wonder, that's, I guess, when I then started to look at the research around um, pornography or, or more just about where is there a space for women to talk about their sexuality and their desire and where I found that space was women talking about um, things like feminist pornography or that kind of thing and then I was really surprised when I found that there was very little talking to women about using mainstream porn even though the research on women using feminist pornography shows that they use that alongside mainstream porn um, and what my research has found is that actually women aren't using feminist porn the majority of the time the, the majority of porn that they're using is the free stuff because why why would you pay that's what they've said routinely why would I pay why would I pay for something um, yeah it's ethical but actually it doesn't occupy, porn doesn't occupy a massive part of my life. It's just a little thing that I use to get myself off if I need to. And so why am I going to pay um, for that? I'm just going to use the same kind of sites that are targeted to to men. So there, yeah, it's a, it's a long story, but it makes sense in my head um, that there's a connect. I think there's a connection between sexual violence and the lack of space that's given to women to talk about their sexual agency. No, you're absolutely right. And it's a question that isn't really clear in my head either. You know, of course, sexual interactions aren't clinical. They aren't formal where, you know, someone says, do you want to do it? And the person says, yes, you know, that that doesn't happen. And so the fact that we are kind of teaching children that, first of all, is kind of dishonest, I think, in a sense, or it isn't giving them, you know, a realistic picture of what they can expect. But, you know, also, you're right, what's being excluded is how women think and women's desire. Totally, totally. And women as the initiators. I mean, that's another thing that, again, from this this porn project that we're starting to see, because alongside it, we've done a content analysis of the top three porn sites, so Pornhub, X-Hamster and X-Videos. We've got like 150,000 videos to... um look through all the gifts but <laughs> to look through which is you know being crazy but again what's coming up and this is just emerging but what's coming up is that you know porn is replicating this idea that women aren't ever kind of the doers in sex they're the they do for men's pleasure but they don't do for their own pleasure so they don't initiate sex in the main on their own for for their own pleasure that it's done for the pleasure of a male partner and I think that we see that kind of sexual script replicated in society and neither of those things really help women in being able to lead fulfilling sexual lives right so I I didn't know that you had to pay for fem- what is feminist porn <laughs> and alternative <laughs> porn and I think I know what mainstream porn is but I didn't realize that you had to pay for feminist porn but yeah, no, I mean, a lot of, uh, so that was the other thing was that women saying that they didn't use um, feminist porn because they didn't know it existed. So 
the idea of feminist porn is that uh, you can make pornography that shows, you know, in representation that it shows something different, you know, that it does show women as being initiators or it isn't based on the idea of inequality, um, that it's not as racist as mainstream porn, that, you know, it's not as sexist, that kind of thing. But also there's an idea that there's um, an ethics in the industry and that means that people have to be paid, you know, people have to be paid properly and people have to be able to say yes and no to particular acts if they want to do them or not and that you know the conditions of your working life you're given breaks for example you know all of those kind of things sick pay holiday pay all of those kind of things that we very rarely think of when we think about pornography Um, you know that's kind of the back end that we don't really want to pay attention to but feminist porn is this idea that it's not pornography that's bad it's pornography created in the particular kind of masculine heteronormative capitalist system that it's in um, that's what the problem is and so when you're creating that kind of um, stuff it costs money and you have to get people to pay for it um, and so there are a few you know kind of um, different feminist porn sites and alternative porn sites but then even now the the idea of feminist pornography is being kind of taken into the mainstream in a way and you know there, there's some forms that will you know represent inequalities or you know some forms that maybe aren't necessarily adhering to the particular ethical practices that you would assume so even the the term itself is again it's kind of diffuse and ambiguous you can't quite you can't definitely say categorically what it is or what it isn't and the thing that I found most important in you know, talking to women about it is regardless, there's been so much theoretical attention from feminist academics on the possibilities of feminist pornography. But actually, when you talk to women, they're not using it. But there's been an overdominance in theory in focusing on alternative porn, queer porn, feminist porn for women in ter- instead of actually looking at, you know, what are women saying about mainstream, commercial, run-of-the-mill, free-to-view pornography? Right. And the fact that the women that you interviewed who had looked at feminist porn or alternative porn also used mainstream porn, I find that really interesting yeah. because I would imagine that that the end result of the goal is the same. <laughs> Right. And and so I'm not really sure what the content is, but, you know, I was thinking about that and I was thinking about the fact that a woman's relationship to mainstream porn and the consumption of it, men and women are shaped by the same media diet, right? And the the same objectification of, of women, you know, our sexual lives, the way that we think they're shaped by the same things that we consume. So I was thinking like, you know, women are sexualized in the same way that men are. In that if a woman comes across an image of a, you know, a woman in a bikini draped across a sports car, there's a good chance that that, that yeah. she would find that just as sexy as a, a man would find that. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's an excellent point. I mean, and this is so the small amount of research that has been done and mine completely backs it up is, is that there isn't women don't have a different form of sexuality that you can examine as comparable to men. I mean, the the idea that there's a woman's sexuality and there's a man's sexuality is, it just doesn't, it, it isn't shown to be true. And it's exactly for the reasons that you just said. We're both, we both exist in a society that teaches particular forms of sexual scripts about what sex is, what it does, who does it, what's enjoyable, what looks sexually attractive, what practices, you know, are sexual. Um, and we both exist on that diet. And so, absolutely that's got to influence us in really similar ways the difference is in how you're situated as a consumer in relationship to the people that are on screen and so women are able to talk about and this may be different than men I don't know though I can't say um, completely but we're able to talk about 
thinking again about labor. So seeing when something doesn't look authentic in women, because, you know, women talk about the fact that many of us have had to fake orgasms or felt like we wanted to fake orgasms. And so we kind of have an idea of what it looks like when a woman is performing sexual pleasure. And so various women, quite a few women that I've spoken to have spoken about this idea of authenticity and being able to see in pornography the work of it and the pretense of it sometimes, not all the time, and that that being a real barrier to them experiencing pleasure. And so I'd be interested to know if that's similar to men. I'd be interested to know if men are as able to pick up a fake orgasm as women seem to feel that that we're able to. Yeah, that's really interesting. I guess that would imply that somehow... I don't know. I guess in alternative pornography, the, the acting's better. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess the idea is that it's people doing particularly sexual acts that they actually want to do. Um, so again, it's different across different forms. But there's some different sites that that women have told me about that is, you know, it's amateur people that are invited to go and do whatever they want to do on camera for money. And so in those kind of circumstances, the pleasure is authentic to to a degree uh, it's still being performed but it feels more authentic to the women watching it I mean one of the things that's really interesting about the women saying that they feel as though they can see when a woman is faking it because they've faked it themselves is it says something about how we kind of see how we see the outside of ourselves when we're having sex if you know what I mean that that we think that we know what we look like when we're faking orgasm it's ridiculous because of course we don't know what we look like um but we have a sense we have an external view of ourselves and that for me again ties into the sexual harassment stuff where women are encouraged to have an external view on themselves and so it says something really interesting about yeah our sexual bodies and how much women are allowed to be again how much we're allowed to be and how much we're allowed to be in our bodies or how much we're supposed to be aware of our surroundings and aware of what we look like to others, even in that, you know, really intensely personal experience. Yeah, you know, and I know you didn't question men, but do you have any idea of of whether men have the same conflicts around the ethics of pornography that women have? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think they do have conflicts. And I don't think actually, it's not really only about ethics. This is the thing that's quite interesting. It's, there's a conflict in feeling that doesn't even go back to ethics, really. So I spoke to, I've spoken to 100 women, and I've got a survey that's got, I think it's about 2000 odd responses. So it's a massive data set. And particularly the interviews, you know, you can really like we're doing now, you can really kind of probe particular points and that kind of thing. So you get some really interesting material. And I really prefer research like that to research that's like just survey-based or laboratory-based. And there isn't that much kind of qualitative, which is that interviewing type research done with men. And so there isn't, there hasn't been that much done with men on pornography. And so it would be hard to be able to compare them entirely. But for women talking about that conflict, it's not only with the ethics, it is with the ethics, but it's not necessarily the ethics in the way that I thought it would be. I thought it would be, you know, the ethics of the industry or thinking, you know, has that woman been exploited or that kind of thing, which did come up for some women. But more so, it was just like a conflict in feeling that something at the same time felt good and didn't feel good. And that those two feelings were experienced together. So women talking about things like immediately after they'd come, closing the browser, shutting their laptop and pushing it away from them, you know, wanting (laughs) it away from them, not near them. And that, that actual effective, you know, motion, I could see that being similar to men. So I... 
I could absolutely see some of the conflicts and, and the contradictions and those kind of things. Just thinking about it, a, a colleague, another academic, Maria Garner, did work with um, a, a small group of men, but did some qualitative work. And she absolutely found that there were conflicts that they were, that they felt the same kind of like both turned on and kind of turned off at the same time. And that, again, there wasn't that space for men to talk about that because we live in a world where we talk all the time about pornography as being normal for men. Men use it. Men love it. That's just the way they are. And it's not allowing enough space for men to say, you know, maybe I use it and maybe sometimes I love it, but also there's some things in there where I go, yeah, no, I really, uh, that that doesn't actually feel good to me as a human being. You know, it's really funny. You talk about women, you know, closing the browser and, you know, pushing it away. And, you know, um, that reminds me, this is just an anecdote. It's not necessarily a question. There was something going around on social media earlier this week where a man was, um, took a screenshot of an article and was making a political comment about the content of the article. And what he forgot to do was to close the other tabs. Oh, I think <laughs> I've seen you that. See that? Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, he had a few tabs open with porn sites. So that was really interesting. He wasn't obviously in a hurry to close those tabs. (laughs) So he didn't have the same kind of response. That's the thing. I mean, it's hard. Again, I I don't know. Because, again, I mean, the sample, the women that I've spoken to, it's not representative. You know, this was women that wanted to talk to a researcher about pornography. So it may be that these are women who are more conflicted, you know, who, you know, so women who are very resolved, maybe they didn't feel they had that much to say. So they didn't, you know, come and, and talk to me. And so it's not representative. And it's the same with research with men, you know, it's very hard for us to get a sense actually of are there any differences between those two groups? And what are the differences between different men and between different women um so it's not kind of generalizable research but i still think it's super important to actually open up a space to start talking about the ways that people use pornography and how they feel about it in a way that isn't so judgmental about how they are supposed to feel about it do you have an idea of the role that pornography plays in women's friendships, right? In relation to the role it plays in men's friendships. And I'm just thinking of, you know, myself personally and you know what I see on television about men. I don't know if men share pornography or give each other tips. Like this is a great uh-huh. book. But I know with women, I don't think that I know anyone that would admit to using pornography. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, that's a really good point. So that's what I mean. That's about the silence that's been kind of introduced about women speaking about this. So there is some, there are some women that I've spoken to that absolutely share things with friends and that kind of thing, but they're very much situated in that I use porn, I love it, you know, kind of this is part of my identity, this is part of who I am. They're on that kind of side and so they're very kind of fine with doing that. I think for the majority of women, it's absolutely the case that it's not – shared in the same way it's not used as a resource in the same way so again thinking about the differences actually so Maria Garner's research found that she kind of theorized this idea that it went pornography went from being a public thing to being a private thing so they generally found it in public spaces which is quite interesting um uh yeah which I didn't know so like actually like <laughs> literally found it in the woods and things like that when they were kids oh wow yeah really surprising um but I'd encourage everyone to ask men or, or for the men listening. Like, honestly, it seems to be something that, you know, they find it in the woods. Weird. 
um, but would find it publicly, would share it. There would there'd be a period where it would be shared with friends, so kind of teenage, adolescence years, and then it would start to become a private practice. And as it became a private practice, they would speak about it less in terms of actually what they watch, how often they watch it, what they get off to, that kind of thing. It became very, very private for them. For women, it seems as though... Again, it's the trajectory is that they find it in public, but they find it in a public way a lot of the time through men. So for the majority of women that I've spoken with, they've first seen pornography through men somehow. So either finding their dad's stash or their brother's stash or having a male partner introduce it as something that they should watch or they should have a look at or seeing brothers watch it, um, you know, walking in when they're watching it. And and it's important that that's not always experienced as bad. You know, a lot of these women have spoken about that being like them curious, you know, like, what is that? You know, that looks quite interesting. But the message that they get then is this is for boys. This is for us. This is not for you girls. And that becomes very confusing when you realize that pornography is about sex because it sends that message that sex is not about you girls. Sex is about boys and sex is about men, you know, and that has dangerous implications as you kind of uh, go on. So women find it in that public space, but they don't have that middle bit of it becoming something that's public that's shared with other women. Instead, they then will talk about when they go home doing things like Googling sex or finding some site that they watch by themselves that they don't tell anybody else about. And women talking about when they've used it with partners or have tried to talk to partners about their pornography use, that that hasn't been the greatest experience for a lot of them because it does occupy that private space. So when it becomes something that's shared with a partner, a lot of women have spoken about it as being actually distracting or them and their partner actually not in liking the same things and so it becoming a bit of an obstacle for for sexual intimacy rather than something that brings them together and so there seems to be slightly different trajectories in terms of women's porn use and and absolutely like you said it seems to be something that women take in and keep very private and don't talk to that many other women about maybe because I, you know I have an idea that it's it's around the ways that these things are, the conflicts are not allowed, that women don't want to talk about really what they might get off to because they feel that by doing that, they're kind of accepting that or saying that they think that that's a good thing or they're going to be judged about saying that rather than creating a space for women to say, you know, I I masturbate to porn and sometimes I watch things that actually I really don't politically agree with and that makes me feel quite complicated. And allowing a space for women to be able to say that and for us to be able to talk about it with each other without trying to say, well, you need to stop, that's wrong, or pornography is great, it's great that you're exploring yourself, it doesn't matter if you find it politically difficult. Allowing both of those things to exist at the same time, I think, is really important. Right. So so why do we need this? What is the goal of having women's voices heard around how we relate to pornography? Um, I don't know, actually. (laughs) I was just interested. This is the thing about research. This is something that you're interested in. Um, What I would like to be able to do, I guess, at this point, it's hard because I'm in the middle of it. So I'm still analysing the data. So I've I've done a lot of the analysis, but I haven't finished it. And you don't know until you're writing. It's really, it's a really weird, beautiful experience, I think doing research a lot of the analysis comes out when you start writing it and you start to make connections and see things come together so it's very hard now to say what the point would be because the point comes through the process of doing it I wouldn't have been able to I wouldn't have theorized the sexual harassment stuff in the way that I do now if you had have asked me this do you know what I mean during the process of doing it I wouldn't have known where I was going to get to and that's what's exciting so that's what's exciting that I don't know um 
But what I would like to happen is to, I guess, open up the conversation. That's the key for me is just to op- just to open up the conversation, to be able to have the conversation that we're having now that I think is a different conversation than the conversations I've heard. I have heard other podcasts that, that will talk about women and pornography, but it's, again, very much situated in that it's great. Women love it. You know, it's cool. It's fine. It's fine, women. You can use porn. It's fine. And it doesn't allow space for like, yeah, of course, it, you know, you can do what you want to do. But also, if you want to talk about bits that feel complicated, or you want to talk about the detail, or you want to talk about you, how you feel about your partner using it, um, you know, we haven't actually allowed the space for women to be able to have their voices heard around that. And as long as we're not having that space for women to talk about it, we're never going to truly kind of get to an understanding of whether or not this is something that, you know, women are experiencing as helping their freedom and, and as helping them break free of some of the restrictions on their sexual space for action or whether it's something that actually is putting in limits around them at the same time and that's the thing it might be both it might be both it might be something that can both expand women's space and restrict it at the same time and we just need to be able to create a space for women to be able to talk about that so that then we can hopefully move the conversation on from where it is now because at the moment a lot of the conversation on pornography is really stuck in this either pro or anti yeah either like it or you hate it um and i I just want to know what you know ordinary women kind of think about that well fiona vera gray thank you so much for joining me i've really enjoyed our conversation it's been a pleasure jen yeah no i've loved talking to you thank you thank you so much for listening i hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did please subscribe on itunes and also please write a review Those two things are the bread and butter of podcasting, and it helps other people discover the electorate. Also, please visit Electorate on Facebook to tell me what you think, what you like and what you don't like about the podcast, and your feedback really helps me improve the show. Until next time, keep up the good fight.